0: Hello, I'm Fern Cotton, and this is Happy Place, the space that encourages active listening and really hearing other people's stories. Today, I'm chatting to Kelsey Parker.
1: Your grief never gets smaller. You just learn to grow around your grief. Like, I'm never, ever going to get over the fact that I lost my best friend, my love of my life, my soulmate, at 32. Like, how am I ever going to get the father of my children? I'm never going to get over this experience and actually how traumatic the experience was that we went through. Even walking into that room and being diagnosed with a glioblastoma, like, I can literally pitch that down. I just had beads of sweat everywhere. 35 weeks pregnant and they're telling me that Tom's got... The, the worst cancer you can possibly have. It's the terminator of all cancers. I was like, as if this is happening to us.
0: Kelsey's husband, Tom Parker, was in the boy band The Wanted and publicly announced in October 2020 that he had been diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumour. He died in March 2022. And since then, Kelsey's been learning how to navigate her own grief as well as that of their small children, Aurelia and Bodie. And she's been grappling with all those emotions on camera, too, for her new, incredibly moving ITVB documentary, Kelsey Parker, Life After Tom. When Kelsey came round to mine the other week, she'd literally just got back from an extreme challenge trekking 100 kilometres through the Sahara Desert to raise money for cancer charity Copperfield. And as you'll hear in this chat, that's just one of the many things I'm completely in awe of Kelsey for doing this year. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Kelsey. Hello. <laughs> now, so I, formal. I, it's, this is really informal, <laughs> let me tell you. I don't know why my hello was so formal. But I tried to not talk to you too much when you're coming in the house because I'm desperate to know, for real how the Sahara Desert was.
1: Do you know what? Like, I just don't think I was prepared, but I don't think for something like that you're ever going to be prepared to trek across the Sahara Desert. What was
0: it, 100 kilometres you ended up doing? Yeah, it's outrageous. So, like, 26...
1: Well, the first two days we did 26 kilometres, and almost after the first day I nearly passed out. And you're. I was a team leader so i really have to be positive for everyone else and i obviously am a positive person but like we were out on the dunes and my team went in and i was left with the camera crew and giovanna and they were like can we just have you sit down i went no 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 because i think i'm actually going to pass out like and i went i came over all funny but i think it's just the lack of like you know how much water you've actually got to drink and how many sweets and like little bits to keep your energy going you have you have to have and obviously the first yeah. day i i had no clue. so after that i was like
0: yeah, Eating eat and drinking everything, it. yeah. Because yeah, you're burning off an insane amount of energy all day walking. But it was for yeah. Copperfield, which is a charity so close to my heart. I'm a great friend of Chris Hellinger's yeah. and they're just doing incredible game-changing work. So. Well, we've raised over a million pounds for the last two treks. Amazing. So it's
1: incredible. And do you know what? It was the most inspiring place for me to be, especially the year I've had. It was just inspiring to be around, you know, amazing women and men. Like I had Chris on my team and he had lost his partner three years ago to breast cancer and it was like I could pick his
0: brains about where I'm going to be in three years time so yeah it's beautiful and there's oh, something yeah. about walking that enables you to get a bit deeper when you're talking maybe it's because you're not sat like looking each other's yeah. eyes you're just like you're just plodding and you end up off on
1: different tangents and you can of see your camp and you're walking for four hours thinking when am I going to get to camp someone <laughs> please help me I mean when I got asked I didn't even think twice I was like yeah I'm going to do it like yeah. I need to I needed challenges this year I need to do things to take my mind off everything that has been going on.
0: I know. I mean, I just watched a few episodes. I was allowed to watch a preview of your new documentary series that you've done, Life After Tom which is so beautiful. I mean, I messaged you on Instagram. I was in floods of tears, but laughing. It's joyful. It's kind of everything. And it yeah. is really documenting what you've been going through this year. But one thing that you you do keep coming back to is that you want to keep busy. You want to keep you know having new challenges, trying new things. You've been doing all sorts from hen parties to obviously this trek. Yeah. Are you worried about stopping having a pause?
1: Well, I think so. Because I just think for me that even the moment he got diagnosed, like... You know, my best friend Kelsey says in one of the episodes that I put this hat on and it was a bit like, right, let's not cry and let's do anything. Let's get through this. And I think that I just was on such a go, go, go for 18 months with Tom. And then when he died, I was like, right, now what can I do? I need to do something because my life was so busy. Like, I'd be up at whatever time in the morning with the kids, then like sorting out Tom's medication during the day. And then by the evening, I'd be then on my phone researching what was out there, what we could do. Like, my life didn't stop. And then even during the day, I'd be like, we're going to this appointment today, we're doing that, Tom. Like, it was just go, go, go. I didn't have a chance to stop. But mm. that's how we got through it. Because he had that belief in me that it was like, she's going to make everything okay. Like, we're pushing through this, and Kelsey's going to make sure that I'm okay.
0: Which is a lot of pressure on you, but you seem to take that on... Well, you had no option. You no, no, I had option. no
1: option. I had to do it for him because, you know, when you're given, you know, we didn't get a prognosis, but... He googled. You Google, don't you? And you're given that. It's like I couldn't let him be defeated by this. It was like, come on, Tom, let's get up. Let's let's get through this. Because you could just lay there and die. You could. He could have had the choice and been like, Do you know what? Like I've had a lovely life up until now. Like I'm going to give up. But he didn't. Well,
0: and you say this in the documentary that from that point of him having a diagnosis to when he died, you had a house full of laughter, of positivity. And again, I'm sure you felt like you you didn't have an option. There was either a very bleak, however long you had with Tom, or you make the best of it. And I, and I don't... I don't want to make that sound like it's an easy choice because it's certainly not. It's but not, you yeah. were like, I'm walking down that road. Well, I didn't
1: even think about this other road. I was like, this is the road we're going to take. And especially Tom, like, I've been with him so, like, i have been with him so long, 12 years. Like, I was 19 when I met him. I knew him inside out and I knew that we couldn't even visit that other lane because he would have just crumbled and laid down and it had been the end. Because when he was first diagnosed, all he kept saying to me was, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I was like, no, you're not you're not going to die. You're going to be fine. Let's get through it, Tom. Let's not go there. You're not going to die. So I knew something within me was like, we've got to get through this. And how am I going to how am I going to get him through it? Mm.
0: But this is a process, obviously, that you know, you're know, you still going through now. This mm. is now how you navigate grief. And that's what you've been extremely generous in sharing with all the stuff that yeah. you've done since Tom passed away. And with this documentary that you I guess it's it's giving you a drive and a purpose, but it must be so connective. You're meeting so many other people, like you say, on the trek, and you meet a group of widowers in the documentary yeah. where you're able to talk about your experience, you're learning about other people's experience, but it's not like it ends. It's never going to get easy. You know, they say...
1: You, you never, your, your grief never gets smaller. You just learn to grow around your grief. Like, I'm never ever going to get over the fact that I lost my best friend, my love of my life, my soulmate at 32. Like, how am I ever going to get the father of my children? I'm never going to get over this experience. And actually how traumatic the experience was that we went through. Just yeah. even walking into that room and being diagnosed with a glioblastoma, like, I, I can literally pitch that down. I just had beads of sweat everywhere. 35 weeks pregnant, and they're telling me that Tom's got the the worst cancer you can possibly have. It's the terminator of all cancers. I was like, as if this is happening to us.
0: Yeah, I mean, you don't get over that. You no. can't get over that. You can, I guess you try for acceptance, but do, is yeah. that even possible with something like no, that? No, I
1: don't think he ever accepted it. no. And that's what I think's really difficult. And I never wanted him to accept it, but it always—it just weighed heavy on us all the time. That he he would say to me, but "I've got a brain tumor, because You don't understand. I've got a brain tumor." And I'm like, "No, no. I definitely know you've got a brain tumor because I'm living this with you."
0: Yeah, but you were just treading water and yeah, trying to keep.
1: Literally, that's what I felt like. I was just yeah. trying to keep us afloat all the time. Mm. But. You know, he did so much for me over the time we like had together that it was like I had to do that for him. How could I not have done that for him?
0: Yeah. And you were with him right up until the very final moment in the hospice, lying in bed with him. And as much as you know that moment is coming, there's nothing that can prepare you for that. No,
1: nothing Nothing could have prepared me for that. And it was, do you know what, for me, it was the realisation that, that this was going to be the end. Like, I never went there. I never went there. And people go, oh, did you, did you talk about this? Did you talk about that? It's like, no, I never went there. We never went to that place. And then when he went so downhill so rapidly, it was the biggest shock. And then I remember he he went into the hospice on a Friday. And honestly, I didn't stop crying the whole day. And then I couldn't go up and see him. Because I thought, how can this be the end now? And I knew the end was coming, but I was thinking, how can I now cope with this in my life? How how can I make his death the best death that he could possibly have? Which I knew he was dying. And how heartbreaking is that to know that he was going to die then? You you just find the strength from within. That's all I can say to people, that i found the strength from within to go, do you know what, I've got to get up there and I've got to make this the best it can possibly be.
0: Mm. And
1: I got everyone there. We had everyone around him. He was surrounded
0: by love and I think that's what you want at the end, don't you? To know yeah. how loved you are. Yeah, and you absolutely did that for him. And then, of course... After going through something so unthinkable and so huge, and something you know, like you've just said, you you hadn't gone there mentally before, so you're having to deal with this in real time. That is the end. There is no more Tom, and then straight away you're you're back home. You have got to be a mum. I mean, again, that that's but, just an inner strength that kicks in. But I'm um, surely you must have had days where you're like, I can't, I can't do this. This is all too much. I, I definitely did,
1: and I have the most amazing family and friends that came around, and they would take shifts. So someone would do the six a.m. shift to make sure that like someone was there with the kids, and like just even taking me downstairs and putting me on the sofa basically, so I could watch what was happening. But I did actually the day after he, the day after he died, I took the kids to the preschool, and I, I went and I took them, and the teachers were so shocked. But I thought I've got to, I've got to show face, and you know what? I've I've then got that out the way. They've seen me, they've seen the kids, and that's it. We just move forward as a family.
0: Yeah, and you've been um, very direct in your language that you've used around the kids. You've used the word dead, you've used the word death. I think you have got to be really clear with the words you use, and it's definitely helped the
1: children. You know, it was hard when the Queen died because Aurelia started going, "What? the Queen's died, my dad's died, are they together in the sky together? And it was just like them reliving it. Hmm. And also my granddad's not well at the moment. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen there, but there's a lot of talk around the the deaf word again. And it's just, it's the kids being aware that this does happen. When I was honest with them and I said, Daddy's got to go today and I'm going to just make sure that angels take Daddy, like, she was okay about that then because it was like she knew what was happening. Um, But I just think it's going to be an ongoing thing for us. Like Bodie, even in the last, you know, eight months since we've lost Tom, how much he's developed. So now he even said yesterday to my friend, my daddy's in the sky. So he's now getting his head around the fact that his dad's dead and his dad's in the sky. It, you know, I spoke to Chris who I was on the trek with and he said it's really hard for his daughter when they go into school because... Again, it's the, you have to, she has to relive it all the time. It's the reliving it. They're going to have to relive this for the rest of their lives. I'm going to have to, aren't I?
0: Yeah. And of course, there's going to be like constant, you know, markers that you reach. You know, you've already done some pretty rough ones, your wedding anniversary. Mm. And I saw in the documentary, you know, you're like, I I don't want to watch the wedding video back. I'm not ready to go there. That's, that's too big. You've done your best mate's wedding without Tom. I mean, this is like draining. This is so much for you energetically to keep having to go, I've got to be strong again today because there's another massive thing happening. It
1: is. It is like relentless. But then life's relentless, isn't it? This This
0: is the life that's been handed to me. I've just got to get on with it. I mean, one of the things I know you're keen to talk about and that you've definitely talked about in the documentary is that in the UK we have a very strange approach to death. We talk about it exclusively in a negative way. And yeah. I think that then leads to us not really talking about it. There's so much awkwardness around it. yeah. And it was really weird timing. I found out this morning, literally on the school run, one of my mates has lost his sister so suddenly. It's really out of the blue. No warning. It's been a huge shock to them. And that is one of the things that we talked about literally at the school gates today is that people don't know what to say to you. And you've even said in the documentary, you've had people cross the road to avoid you. That's what I was gonna say. People cross like when
1: I went to like my friend's wedding, like people actually that I've known for a very long time didn't want to talk to me. And I'm literally the most like open person to talk to me about anything. And they're like, hi, bye. And then that was it. I'm like, no one actually wants to talk to me because they don't know what to say because it's and they don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. Is it that?
0: Is it the fear
1: of? But I would never be offended by what anyone had to say to me. I literally would not care. It, you're never going to offend me. Like this has happened to me. Tom has passed away. Like what? What can be
0: offensive to me? Well, nothing can be as bad well, as what that, you've been yeah. through. So you've got, got that. Can, yeah. you've got a resilience there. But I think there is this weird. There's an awkwardness, there's a there's a fear. It's really strange. And actually I think you know we've done quite a few conversations on happy place around death mm. and with my guests like you talking in this amazingly honest and raw way about it. It's obviously it's painful it's not a nice subject to talk yeah. about but it's healthy to but talk also, about it's, it but it. also
1: it's not black and white either, and i think we're just so black and white in this country that it's like i should be walking around i am wearing a black jacket but i should be like in black mourning wearing like my black veil over my face and and not speaking to anyone but that life's not like that you know i've learned through this that you can be so many different emotions in well in one day but even mm-hmm. in 5 minutes i could feel sadness anger happy and been laughing all yeah. literally within the space of 5 minutes because it's not you know and, and and I have been left here like I've been left here without Tom and what do I do with my life now? Like I can't be sad. I've got two kids. Like how can I wake up every day and be sad? Yes, I am sad, but my life has to continue and move on. And if Tom's not taught like he what he's taught us is that life is so short. Yeah. Like so short and literally it can happen like that. It can yeah. be sudden. Like yeah. we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So you have to enjoy every day that you're given here.
0: You're absolutely right. And you know, I I haven't had the same experience as you, so I don't know those feelings. But even watching this documentary, following your story that you've all that you both shared with mm. us and that you're now sharing. That is, for me, this, I I can't walk away from watching something as powerful as as what you've created for these docs and just go about my life flippantly. You feel like you've got to grab it and you've got to live it. And, you know, that's incredibly complicated for you because there's so much, you know, again, thinking back to the episode of the documentary I watched last night where... You've done this amazing hen party for your mate. I was watching thinking I'd quite like to be there actually with a (laughs) massive gin and tonic that that you're all drinking, having a brilliant time. But there is, yes, I've had a great time with my friends and I've shown my best mate how much I love her. But there's a guilt that you're Mm. having fun. Is that something that you're still dealing with daily? Yeah,
1: I think for me, I didn't realise how big the guilt process was going to be for me. Like, I do feel guilty. You do feel guilty having a good time. I mean, the hen do was the first night I'd actually been out since Tom passed away. And it's the guilt that you're living your life now. But he, what would he want me to do? He'd want me to be happy. We've been together so long, he'd be like, Kels, just go and enjoy your life. You have one life. Like, that's all I've learned, that there's. I've got one life. So if those feelings come up, do you just have to sit and go? I, I have to sit with him and then I, I, I think it through and I process it. It is, it's really tough and you can't explain to people like how you feel and sometimes I feel like there is a grief brain and I'm a bit like, even when I do the documentary, they ask me questions I'm like, I can't actually answer that to you because I actually don't have an answer because my brain's not actually functioning to give you the answer that you need right now.
0: You've just got so much it's going like, on yeah. constantly that, that it's, yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure a lot of people who are grieving or who have had that sort of level of bereavement have a fog. Like, you can't... Yeah. You
1: can't shift it sometimes. Can't do, yeah. like I can't actually give you... I can't answer your question. Like, there is no answer.
0: And this is another thing, you know, you when you've done um, any public appearances or even when your mates have seen you and they say, you know, the regular question, hey, Kelsey, how are you? How do you answer that? That's not getting any easier, I don't suppose. No.
1: And it's like each day I feel different. Like, if I turn around and go, yeah, I'm having a great day, you'd be like, oh, are you? Are you having a great day? You do know your husband's just died. It's like... No, I actually am having a great day today. Mm. And I'm entitled to have a great day. Of
0: course you are. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices what i'm wondering going back to this this awkwardness because i'm i'm really interested in yeah. it because i think so many people out there are on either end of it the receiving end of it like you say painful yeah. to have someone cross the road to avoid you because they don't they can't find the words to say and then i think also there's people that want to comfort someone in their life who's lost someone and they don't know how i know it's different for everyone and it yeah. could even be a slightly annoying question for me to ask you but what is helpful. What is a helpful show of support in that moment where you are in the thick of grief? Is there such a thing as helpful support in that moment? Do you know
1: what that? Like, my friends and family were massive. Like they, they did things that you, you like, like that coming to my house and just sitting there and being with me. It's maybe not even saying any words. Like I remember when Tom actually went into the hospice. And um, so I've got younger brothers who are fifteen and seventeen, and. I just I just found out Tom was going to hospital so I was at my mum's house and I was just in floods of tears and my little brother came in and he didn't realize the what had happened and he just sat with me and he sat with me for half an hour and did not move didn't say one word to me but was just there and I think it's just the being there for someone you know people were so amazing at just being there for me maybe not even saying what I needed them to say because what words can you say that it's never going to make it right it's, it is a tough question, but you know, now I'm like, people can talk to me, like, we can have a conversation, we can have a gossip, we can speak about other things. Yeah. Or it's like, they don't want even, if they if something could happen, they're like, someone died. Oh no, Kelsey said we can't talk about death. But a bit like when he had cancer, people don't want to talk about, like, someone else having cancer.
0: Yeah. But I love that, because you will just blowing the lid off that one like let's yeah. get it out in the open and, and I think you know you could really see that in the documentary when you met with some very young widowers as well that that connection brought you all something how, how did those conversations help you
1: do you know what i was so worried about going to meet other widowers because I was like oh god this is like doom and gloom but actually when I got there with them they were the only people that actually understood how I how I felt and I'm like okay I'm not weird that they feel exactly the same as me because I thought, oh, you know, we might have different views here, but they did all feel the same.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's that, I guess it is comfort that you're not alone, you're not going through it on your own. And I guess, especially in the early days after losing Tom, I'm sure that you felt very lonely, isolated, because, you know, who can you talk to who's been yeah. through that? There's no one in your life that's experienced that. How yeah. did you deal with that loneliness? And I think it is, and also I'm,
1: I don't want to put it on other people. So when I was lonely in the evenings, you know, I didn't want to, ring up and go do you want to come around and sit with me because they're living their lives and it's a bit like when Tom was ill I didn't want to put that on anyone else like this was our problem our situation we just had to get through it and the same it's my problem I need to get through it you don't want to put on other people all the time because I feel like I have to rely on a lot of other people now with even with the children. Like, I have to rely on my mum, my auntie to help me with the kids because I am a solo parent. But
0: they must love doing it. I think there is an element of, you don't wanna put it on people, yeah. but I think people wanna help, they wanna show up. Like, I think most humans, maybe I'm exaggerating. A lot of, a large portion of humans <laughs> are actually really, like they have a lot of goodwill and they really want to help. But if you're, you know, you seem like a very strong person and, you so know. like, don't get involved with her. Or no, I think it's more that you think, no, I've got to do it all myself. Yeah. I've got to do, I've got to show that I can do this. But I think people are so much more willing to help than any of us believe. Yeah. It's a hard barrier to break down though when you're used to like, I've got to power through this. Yeah. And it
1: was, I found it hard asking for help for Tom. Like the the last couple of weeks, I f- I found that really hard because I'd managed up until a certain point, and I couldn't manage anymore, and it was really hard for me to reach out to other people to say, I'm I am struggling now. Like I've got to a point where I can't I can't actually cope. Yeah, and that was really difficult for someone like me because where I am, like proud, and I'm like I'm doing this. It was re- it was really tough, and also I wanted to be there. I wanted to be the sole person to look after him. And be like, I'm getting you through this. And then when I had to ask other people, I'm like, oh, I hope he doesn't think that I'm giving up on him.
0: God, no. God, no. Like, you... But that's
1: what I mean. That's the guilt. You go back to the guilt mm. stage. That but... You you feel the guilt.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, I don't think anyone would expect anyone to do that on their own. It's such a huge thing to go through without someone going, okay, you're taking care of Tom and the kids let me take care of you, you know. That's a given that people would want to do that. Yeah. you got to let more of that in. I know.
1: And that's what, like, I'm meeting a therapist for the show, and that's what she keeps saying to me. You just, you're so at the bottom of the pit, you need to put yourself at the top. But I'm like, I find it really hard. I think a lot of women
0: don't do that. People like that in general. Yeah. Just in life, outside of it well, being a very tricky and... situation. Yeah, you you kind of, I think that's, Perhaps uh, a historic thing for women that we felt we've always got to take care of everyone, deal with all manner of circumstances unfurling. But actually, it's all right to to ask for help, especially in something like what you've been through. You know, it's I think it's imperative that you ask for help. How's how's the counselling? Has it helped you, I guess? Well, uh,
1: I'm, I'm not someone who would like necessarily seek Help from a counsellor, but it has helped it's like definitely opened my eyes to to things and made me think a little bit more, maybe ways that i didn't didn't think, so it has it's I've, yeah, I don't know I don't know how I feel about it
0: and how do I feel how do I feel about it <laughs> but you know again, maybe there's no answer to that yeah. because I've done therapy on off over the years, and sometimes I think I'm so getting somewhere like I'm you know the anxiety's getting easier, or whatever it is, and other times I think. Why am I doing this? I don't don't think there is any one answer. And I think that's also really important to talk about because sometimes people might assume it's the only answer. You have to have therapy. It's the only thing that can fix you. But I think there are so many different things that you can implement and use alongside counselling. Or it could just be like you say, like, I just loved you saying there about your little brother who, you know, has not dealt with something like this before, but intuitively gets it that just sitting with you was it's going enough. To
1: help. It was enough.
0: Like it's to just enough. be there for his big sister. And it's and it that's must have been weird for him as
1: well, because of your big sister's always there for you. And he had, he was he had to step up and be like, okay, I'll just sit here with her until mum finishes what
0: she's doing, until my mum was back. Yeah. Cause of course that's again, I think, something that you all depicted really brilliantly in the documentary series. Is that Tom's death has affected all of you. It's a ripple effect, and everyone will be dealing with it in different ways. And not only will your mum and stepdad be massively missing tom but also they're then dealing with a daughter who's experiencing grief so Mm. there's everybody's learning on their feet about this sort of shift like this new dynamic and then we've got kids and
1: then we've got the babies as well we've got Aurelia and bodhi to then go right how do we then deal with them so it's it's just the ripple effect and it affects everyone and like my brothers tom was in their lives from they were three and five like he was like their brother, so now they've had to go through this grief, and then I look at them thinking, are they dealing with it okay? Like, mm.
0: how are they? And it, like you say, it's going to be different every day that yeah. they're coping with it or they're not coping with it, and then you're coping with it and you're having a shit day. You know, mm. it's it's not one thing.
1: It literally is a roller coaster, and that's it. It's a roller coaster of grief.
0: Yeah. One thing that you've been incredible at doing. Well, I mean, there's loads of things, but one thing <laughs> that really again stood out is trying to turn difficult days into celebrations. So one difficult day in the calendar was always going to be Tom's 34th birthday. And you knew it was coming up. And that's obviously a huge thing to go through. You know, one of my mates lost his partner last year and he found the anniversary of her death so difficult, like just trudging through quicksand to sort Mm. of get through it. And I loved watching the episode where you turned this... You know, day that was looming in the calendar to a beautiful celebration, and you organised a fun day with a five k walk. How did that feel? Was it as as joyful as as it seemed?
1: Oh, it was incredible. Mm. That day was so incredible, and I I wanted something to look forward to and to work towards, and it, true Kelsey style, blew up bigger than what I actually anticipated. It. You today. thought you were
0: going to sell like five tickets, and there were what six hundred yeah. people. And I was
1: like, oh, okay. So, yeah,
0: this has gone bigger (laughs) than what I could
1: ever imagine. But it's just celebrating him. Like, he was such... He was the life and soul of the party. And for me, I don't want him to be remembered for this person that had a brain tumour for the last, like, two years. Like, for me, it's let's celebrate the old Tom that was there and up dancing and doing whatever. So we had, like, amazing acts. Obviously, Arj came and performed. Bless Arj. Bless him. He was so good. I do just love him. He just cracks me up. He's brilliant. Um... But yeah, it was it was you know celebrating Tom. How can I not celebrate him? I loved him so much. Like it's for me celebrating the love with everyone.
0: Yeah, it looks so gorgeous, so gorgeous. And it's
1: good for the and it was good for the kids to yeah. see. Yeah. Like Aurelia was wearing the picture of her dad, and every, she knew everyone was there to celebrate her dad.
0: Yeah.
1: And this is all stuff for her to look back on and go, do you know what? Life's tough, but we somehow make it positive. Hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And how was your best friend's wedding? Because that was obviously another big one that, you know, you were articulating. There was some nerves around that and a lot of mixed emotions of obviously utter elation. They're getting married, but also, you know, Tom wasn't going to be there with you. How did that feel?
1: It was really tough because actually our whole friendship when Kelsey and Dean got together, me and Tom used to be like, can you just go and get married in Vegas? Like, just because we used to go to Vegas all the time. It's like, can you just get married in Vegas? Let's go to Vegas. And then when Tom died, I just said to them two, like, can you get married? Like, it would really, like, mean so much for me if you got if you two got married. I know he's not going to be there. It was tough because he would have been Dean's best man. And even like when it came to the stag do, I had to get involved and help organise that because it was like sort of my duty of care to Tom to be like, he would have had a part to play in this. But yeah, and it just, I tried to keep really strong. And then one of Kelsey's friends got up and did a a soulmate poem. And that just had me, I was like, oh, it, uh, yeah, it really, really was really hard for me to watch that. Um, But then I was just so happy they got married. And now. They can feel happiness like me and Tom felt.
0: Yeah. I just think that's amazing, Kelsey, that you're able to sit there and, you know, even watching that bit on the documentary, it's heartbreaking seeing you have to listen to that beautiful poem about soulmates, knowing that you've lost your soulmate, Mm. but you're somehow able to sort of dance between feeling really happy for someone and then dealing with your own grief but not letting the grief overtake the joy bit. I just think it's... It's honestly amazing. And I know you're not like sat there wanting me to go, you're so brilliant and an inspiration, but I find it just truly admirable. I I just don't know how I I just can do that though. Do you think that's just how you are? Is that your personality type even before going through this tricky time?
1: I think, yeah. Like Tom used to always go on about certain aspects of my life and be like, I don't know how you process that, Kelsey. I don't know how you deal with it, but I can just deal with stuff. Like I think I'm just made of 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 strong stuff I don't know because yeah. he used to always like question me about certain things I'm like Tom I can't explain to you I can just get through it I can deal with it yeah. even you know even at the age of 19 getting with someone who was in like the being in the public eye and yeah. being in this band and being surrounded by a lot of girls like all my friends used to say only you could be with someone like that mm. like because I was never bothered I never felt jealous either that he was ever gonna go off and cheat on me because you know that's the question you get yeah, asked of course. oh are you worried I'd be like No, Tom would have to ask me first if he wanted to cheat on me. Do you think Mm. this is a good idea? (laughs) That's (laughs) hilarious. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? That's the sort of of relationship we had. Like, I'm just, I was never worried because I just think as well, why am I going to worry about that? If he is going to do it, I'm going to find out and I'll deal with it then. Like, you know, like, but a lot of people would be jealous about that. Mm. You're good at living in the moment. Really good at living in the moment. And even if Tom was out talking to a girl, I'd be like, well, you crack on and have a conversation (laughs) with him because... I have him at home 24-7, so you have a <laughs> lovely little chat with him tonight.
0: Like, I just don't, I just didn't feel that way. Mm. Is that Does that sometimes prove difficult if people then just assume, oh, she's all right, she, look at her, she looks fine. But of course, we've just talked about this, grief is complicated. You can appear fine. strong, yeah. capable, you can go and do your job, you can be a mum and look after your kids. And then people make the assumption, oh, she's all right. But of course, you you live with grief. It doesn't go. Yeah, you can experience other emotions alongside it. But grief is it's there. You've got that. You that you know you've got you know even watching in the documentary, you've got the room in the house with all Tom's kit in it, yeah. and you don't want to get rid of that, that's Tom's studio, you don't want to How how do you get rid of it? How do you get rid of that? So you've got all of these complexities, decisions that you've got to make, situations within the four walls of your home that you've got to deal with, yet you could walk to the shops buy coffee and everybody that sees you thinks, oh she's doing fine is that, that's tricky It is really tricky and really I just think
1: the whole time I just think people look and just see what they want to see but if they actually walked in my shoes and lived my life that I've lived for the last 2 years I just think some people wouldn't have been able to get through this that like what I've been through mm. and you know it is like it is being at home looking at every picture of him looking at his studio it is it is just so tough for me and tough for the kids that you know we, we are living with him still basically being in the house but I could not bring myself to chuck the studio equipment away no nice. not that I'm even going to take up being a music producer but it took him 5 years to learn how to do it <laughs>
0: But I think so many people who have lost someone—it might not be a partner, it might be a parent, or or someone that lived in their home. You know, I think that is there. There are so many practical things that you have to consider. What What do you do with their belongings? I mean, in our loft, we've still got tons of my husband Jesse's mum's stuff up there. It's mm. been there for seventeen years, and he hasn't actually found. The right moment to go up there and to really look at it all, because he knows it's going to be it tough. A big thing to go through that and to sit and and she died very out of the blue in not very nice sort of circumstances. So I think he's delaying that a bit and he knows he is, but we're never going to chuck that stuff away. So I think these are the sort of things, again, that people don't probably have open access to these conversations. What do you do with the stuff? You know, do you just keep it? Is that okay? And
1: there's no wrong or right. Like, when Tom passed away, the next day, everyone was at my house. Like, for a few days, everyone was just coming and being there and supporting me and, you know, all my family. And I said to my brothers, go upstairs and take whatever clothes you want of his. Because for me, that felt right. And Tom was not a person that, like was overly possessive about his possessions. Like He would have wanted the boys to have him. I said, take whatever clothes you want from that wardrobe because I will love to see you wear that. And now when they walk around, I see them in his trainers or whatever. else. So I'm like, that's so lovely for me to see. Mm. But some people will go, why, why have you done that for? Why has she giving all the brothers the clothes? But that felt right for me. But now, I'm like eight, nine months down the line, I've still got clothes and belongings that I can't now bring myself to get rid of because now you've got that emotional attachment to it. It's sort of like when you rip the plaster off, you do it quickly, it's okay, but the longer you leave it on and the slower you do it, it's like, oh.
0: Yeah, but there's no wrong or right. No,
1: there is no wrong or right.
0: That's the thing, and that's why it's so important to talk about it so that people know, you know, you've got to deal with it in the right way, and there's no time frame. There's no, you have to be at this point however many years down the line. You know, grief's always going to hurt. But but I feel like we've, believe that in the UK that there
1: is points that you should be at like that you should be hitting that point and then you should be here and then you should be there
0: like it's not like that life's not like that nope nope and also I don't know why people assume that it's okay to judge others on their experience of life you know we have no clue what people are going through behind closed doors deep down in their you know, minds, we don't have a clue. We're making guesses, assumptions. So for anyone to suggest that anyone should be grieving on a a time plan or in a certain way, it's mad.
1: But even when I went and met um, the group of older women... Oh, I loved that bit. But I was talking to one of them, oh. and she'd met her husband at a dance. Oh my god, she was breaking my heart. Heaven. They met at a dance. She said after, like, she met him. He took her home. Three weeks later, they were engaged, and then four months later, they were married. And I went, well, "What did people say?" <laughs> but like that, like, but imagine if I, like, if you was like, "Oh yeah," right, I was four weeks, and then people would be like. Oh my God! Yeah, how do you know? You don't know if you know him. Like you've not been with him long enough. It's we're all just so so judgmental. But I yeah. thought no, could on you. And then um, she lost him when he was forty-two. So she did get married really quick. But do you know what? She stayed together. She stayed with him all that time and absolutely loved him and idolized him.
0: Yeah, it was really interesting that I thought it was a, a really lovely moment watching you talk to these ladies again they'd all lost their partners at, at differing moments yeah. some relatively early like the lady you just spoke yeah. about some had been with their husbands for 40 50 years how did that make you feel sort of seeing um these widowers who had this sort of long journey with grief and how was it sort of hearing about their own experiences it was
1: different with like b- both the women like that some obviously that had been together with their partners for like 40 years, I, f- I felt quite jealous in a weird way that I was like, oh, you've had all that time. And me and Tom would walk down the street and go, oh, we're going to be that little old couple on the bench eating our chips or whatever together. I and mean, when that's not happened for me. But then the other women were doing great that had lost their partners at a like, similar age to me. They, they're, they're living life. They're getting on with it. So it gave you some hope? It get, It did give me hope. It again mixed. I felt different emotions, didn't I? Yeah. I felt jealousy, but then I felt ho- hopeful as well. So, mm. and you would never think you'd be jealous of an
0: eighty-year-old woman, but I was. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. I totally get it. And I think it's again, it's so important to talk about. Like, it's complex. It's not. You're not ever going to feel one thing. This is like a massive mixed bag of of so many emotions yeah. coming up. How How are you going to navigate Christmas? Because that's obviously again, it's a time of nostalgia. It's you know it, it's just that is the time where everything is it's sort of the same each year the smells and the colours and the tree and ev- you know that is a big time for people who have been through something similar to you to really struggle H- how are you going to navigate it?
1: Well normally we go to my mum's we've been to my mum's every year for the last 12 years yeah well 11 years 11-12 years so we're actually going to mix it up and we're all going to come to my house and um, but last Christmas in the morning, Aurelia got it and Tom was like, I can't believe that she's, like, understanding, like, Father Christmas. And she was only two at the time. So I think it's going to be a real struggle for me because he was just, he couldn't believe that she understood. The footprint's been here. Oh, my God, the reindeers have eaten the carrots. Like, she she got it and she understood it. And he, it was his face that I was laughing at being, like, he's so shocked how intelligent his daughter is. Um so I just think it's going to be so so tough, and it's just it's a it's a cheerful time, isn't it? And sometimes, and I might not feel cheerful on Christmas morning this year.
0: Yeah, and that's fine.
1: But then again, then it boils down to my kids. How can I take that away from them? They're going to be happy, aren't they? They're going to have all the presents and be grateful with what they've got. But it's like I've I've lost so much this year. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be a good Christmas, is it? Oh, God, I'm now getting emotional. But it is. It's like I've lost enough of my life this year. Like, I don't feel like I'm going to feel very, like, cheery. Mm. Yeah. Christmas is going to be tough, and I don't know, like, out of all of it, it's the one that I'm dreading the most, Christmas.
0: Yeah. I get it. It's a, it's a huge one. Yeah. And I think, you know, just so many people feel like that. Christmas is, it's sort of shoved down your throat that it's got to be this thing, yeah. and it's got to be... You've, you're meant to feel this way. Yeah. And for so many people, it's not. It's the, it's the worst. Yeah. It's really hard. It's really hard. I just think, you know, who am I to say? But, you know, you're obviously going to put a lot of effort into making sure your kids are all right. You've got to make sure someone makes sure you're all right. Yeah. Or at least is like there with you, giving you a big hug. I'm sure I have lots of hugs. You oh, will. It, well,
1: even though I just have so many hugs from the kids. They're going to just love it.
0: Yeah, they will. They will. But it's
1: still just not going to take the take like take away from the fact that he's
0: not here. No, no, it won't. You're so bloody brilliant in talking about all this, and and you know, it sounds flippant to say, "God, you're so strong." But I, I'm in full admiration of how you're navigating all of it, and I just think it's really generous that you're sharing so much with everybody because there's so many people going through this feeling very alone and I just think you're going to unite you know, if, a lot of people yeah and if
1: I can help a few people then I've done what I've set out to do haven't I know like i this whole time I've just wanted to help people and it's that and the people to look at me to go oh no do you know it is actually okay it's okay to feel like that that's normal
0: yeah it's totally it's normalizing all of those feelings and also showing that you can be both strong and resilient but also completely fall apart at the same time and there shouldn't be any expectations on anyone when dealing with something as massive as grief because it's not for anyone else to say. Yeah. It's really not. Have you watched any of the documentary back? Yeah, I have been, I have been watching. And
1: how has that and made you feel? It's so hard because when you do watch it, like honestly I do watch it and I think, what are people going to actually think? Oh, don't worry about that, please. It's brilliant. Don't no, worry about I that. I know, but I do think because again we're talking about all these different things and all these different emotions, like, and we have got such a view on grief that I just hope people can relate to me. But I'll, also, I you know I hope people watch and think that in such dark times you can have happiness.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think they'll really get that from it, like massively. They really will, and well done for making it because it's. Thank you. I'm it's sh- been. T- it has been tough. Of course, it has.
1: But yeah, it's it's been therapy for me doing the show. Mm. I think the, even not seeing the therapist, this show has been therapy for me. Mm. You know, the morning of the NTAs, I was in a right state because for me, that was closing a chapter. Like that's. A, it wasn't a first. but It was actually closing a chapter on the cancer journey. Like going there and you know being up for the award for our documentary that me and Tom did together. That was closing a chapter that I had with Tom and I really struggled that morning to do that because I thought, I don't want this chapter to end, I wish he was here. Yeah. And now I'm
0: filming another documentary on my own. Yeah. It's a lot to deal with. It's a hell of a lot to deal with. But I think, you know, I guess your drive to want to really help people is pushing you through it, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. It's so brilliant. And I'm so I'm so glad you made it and I'm so glad that you're really up for talking about this stuff because I don't ever take it for granted that I can walk into a situation like this and just quiz you about your personal life. You know, that is yeah. it's it's a privilege for me doing this podcast because I don't just think, "Oh yeah, I just get to ask everyone the questions and they answer." I know yeah. that it can be draining and painful and triggering and all that stuff, and I'm massively appreciative that you are up for talking today and you know, telling other people out there that there is there is hope and there can be positivity and and joy and all that stuff. In the you. darkest of times, you can
1: pull light. There is light out there. We are light. Like you just gotta shine a light on it.
0: Yeah. And you're doing it. You're really doing it. Kelsey, thank you so much for thank talking you. today. I really appreciate it. And good luck with the rest of the filming. Cause I know you've still got you're in the thick of it. Yeah. You've got loads more to do. And I'm just sending you all all the love and good vibes in the rest of your journey making this documentary and going forwards thank you so much kelsey i know i know i said it about a million times in that chat but i will say it again i just think you're the most incredible woman i think it's such a powerful and important message that we're allowed to be strong and resilient and fall apart at the same time Thank you so much for being so open and honest and raw today. That new documentary, Kelsey Parker, Life After Tom, is out on ITVB. Okay, let me tell you now, you do not want to miss next week's episode. Hmm, tantalising. So make sure you're following the podcast so you're notified as soon as as it's available. Until then, huge thanks again to Kelsey, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you lovely lot, I adore you.